We are continuing in this series called Christian, where we are examining, re-examining, kind of debunking, talking about this word that no longer means anything, that we kind of, some people hang up as a banner and they, they associate with, this is my religion, or this is my thing, or this is, this is the box that I check, or this is the way that I vote, or I prayed a prayer once, and so that makes me a Christian, and it doesn't actually inform their lives. And so we have been exploring what this looks like, why Christians have had a bad name, and what it would actually look like to be a follower of Jesus, perhaps instead. So we're getting into that again this morning. Now, some of you know that I used to be a good athlete, and I played volleyball in college. And uh, in this part of the country, in Huntington Beach, California, I can say I played volleyball in college, and people are like, cool. In other parts of the country, I say I played volleyball, and dudes would be like, you did what? (laughs) <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't, that, isn't that a girl's sport? You know, I mean, we, we here understand uh, the masculinity that can be involved in, in such a sport as volleyball, and so we embrace that. So I played in college, and after my freshman year, I got invited to go to this um, uh, Christian athlete conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and Uh, because I was a volleyball player. And I went there, and I didn't have a great experience. I thought it was a little bit weird, uh, a little bit too much like hype, like, yeah, this is, you know, you go. I don't even know, just hype, whatever you associate. And so I, but I met this guy who uh, was a member of the power team. How many of you remember the power team? So they were the guys that like tore phone books and like ran through fire and like (laughs) bent uh, aluminum bats over their neck and like broke bricks with their head and just crazy stuff where you're like, I guess that's cool. I'll let you talk to me about Jesus now. You know, and they, that was their deal. They were on TV some. And so this guy was uh, a member of the power team, and he also was a graduate of USC. He played football for them way back in the day. And he was at this event, and he and I got introduced. And so he loved that I was an athlete at USC, so he wanted to spend some quality time with me. And so we had this little prayer session, and we're praying, and he's seeing a vision. And he says, Caleb, I see this vision of your volleyball team after winning the national championship, holding hands, praying together, thanking God with your shirts off. And I was like... <laughs> and anyway, I was like, okay, well, so, we're, so I, this guy's on the power team and he, he tears stuff and he, 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 like God gives him power to, to bend really hard things. He must know what he's talking about. And so I'm like, yes, we're going to win the national title. I'm going to be all American. This is going to be so cool. I go to school and we, our team just stinks. We were worse our sophomore year than we were our freshman year. And it, and it got worse even still. And our coach was tough, and the, there was no camaraderie, no team chemistry. It was not a good situation. And yet, you know, I, we, we did what we did. And I all the time had, had this kind of feeling and sense that, A, this guy was a wackadoodle and, and <laughs> didn't know what he was talking about clearly. And then, B, have I messed up? Like, did I not do something right? We never got to the shirts off prayer national title thing. Did I not wear my WWJD bracelet long enough? Should I have been more bold and brought in some Chris Tomlin music to the locker room or something like that? Should I have been more forthright and like put Bibles in lockers? Should I have done more? Should I have been more aggressive? And, and did I fail as a Christian in leading this this change and this national title and championship. 
And I think that sometimes we get confused about that. Should I be saving people? Should I be doing more? How come my spouse still isn't following Jesus? How come my kids are still following Jesus? How come these incredible things aren't happening? I had this vision, or they said this, or I should expect this. And I believe today that God would want to say something to us about how perhaps we have viewed that kind of thing and our role in the lives of other people. And maybe there is a slight there's a way that we have gone slightly askew that he might want to bring us back and focus on something pretty simple this morning. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 5. Before we get into Matthew 5, let's talk for a second about Rome in that day, in Jesus' day and in the, and in the days leading up. Rome was just a dangerous place to be, especially after Jesus you know, did his thing and went back into heaven. And now there's an emperor named Nero, AD 65, who's exterminating all Christians all followers of Jesus. They weren't even, Christians was a negative term, they barely used it. People who followed the way, followed Jesus. Nero was trying to kill them all, burning them at the stake. I mean, you would find believers, if you kind of beamed back there right now, you would find them huddled in barns, in dens, in like uh, basements if they had them, I don't know, hiding out, just hoping not to be found as the guards were coming through, dragging followers of Jesus out to be killed. And so you fast forward to today, and I have a picture I wanted to show you of Rome. You see at the top of all these buildings, there are what? Crosses. On the top of every significant building in Rome, you'll see a cross. On the top of many homes and public structures, let alone places of worship, you will see crosses. If you walk in the streets, I haven't been. I've just seen pictures online and heard stories. But if you walk in the streets, they are selling crosses everywhere. Now, if you could go back and tell those followers of Jesus, hey, in a few hundred years, this Nero guy is going to be long gone, and the Jupiter pagan god that he's suggesting we worship is going to be a forgotten thing, and we're going to have crosses everywhere. And this, this device that's used to kill you and your friends, it's going to be upheld as the symbol of hope and freedom and opportunity, and goodness, that you would have blown their minds because they were just fighting for their life and just trying to love the people around them and live differently in this crazy world that they found themselves in that time. And so in a short period of time, two to three hundred years, they literally turned the world upside down with their humble approach, with their servant attitude. We talked about the last few weeks, how they cared for the sick and diseased, when people came, they had been affected by the plague with literally like bumps and boils and nasty stuff all over their face, and they would come and be brought to the pagan priest. The pagan priest would be like, honey, pack, we're, we're out. I mean, this plague is legit. And they would flee and leave these people to fend for themselves. The Christians, the followers of Jesus, would move in and care for the sick. And it's by that kind of approach that they literally turned the whole Roman Empire on its head and changed Everything. So what was it that inspired such a revolutionary movement in their time? Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, it was the beginning of this new way where he, he rallies the troops and he says, this is how you will live 
in these times and among these people and, for, and, for, and in the future. This is how I want you to live. And this is his, this is his fire-up speech. It's no, it's no shirts off, I'm warning you right now, no shirts off, national title type of speech. This is a little bit different. He, the crowd gathers, the Bible says in Matthew 5. This part isn't even on the screen. We'll be there in a second, but just stick with me. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, poor in spirit. Man, you really know how to you know, boost our energy and morale here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, I'm not exactly inspired. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. No one wants to be meek when a Roman soldier has a sword at your throat. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the compassionate. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. No one's showing mercy to these followers of Jesus. And Jesus is giving them in this time where Rome is dominating and doing what they want in this, in this, in this culture where might makes right. And if you have the strength, you have you have control, and if you have the longer sword, you win the day, and you get to impose your set of values on everybody else. Jesus comes and he says, blessed are those with a pure heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, his, and the people are like, what? You're, he's just got to be looking at blank faces. That is not inspiring. That is not what we wanted to hear. We thought you were coming in to overthrow this corrupt government and usher in a new way. You're just, you just want us to be at peace? You just want us to be meek? Be okay with mourning and sorrow that we experience in this life? And he goes, okay, okay, I, I see this isn't really, you're not really tracking, so let me, let me go another step. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Here, let me give you two word pictures, he says. This, this summarizes the things that I just laid out for you. Here are two word pictures. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are a preservative in this culture. Here's what a preservative is. You didn't know you were going to learn this today, but if, if nothing else, here's what a preservative does. A substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action, i.e. rot. A preservative prevents rot. A preservative is put around on food to keep it fresh, to put flavor into it. And so what they would literally do is they would take meat and they would take salt and they would just pound with the heel of their hand salt, all pack the meat in salt to preserve it so it would last longer. They didn't have the same refrigeration processes or everything that we have now. They would pack meat with salt to preserve it, to keep it fresh, to keep it edible, and to keep it flavorful and tender. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Whoa, 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 that, that means that you're gonna, God, that you're gonna like pound us into this culture, into this world, into this earth? I thought when I became a follower of Jesus that I was supposed to stop hanging out with all these bad people. I thought I was supposed to sell all those old records and just listen to Christian music. I thought I was not supposed to associate with those kind of people at work anymore. 
I thought that I was supposed to stay away from Los Angeles. That place is dark. I thought that I shouldn't even be on that team because that coach is not a follower of yours. I thought that I should pull my kid out of that classroom because no one else seems to care about the the ways of you. I thought you are the salt of the earth. And you say, well, but this culture is just so corrupt. It's so... It's just so broken. It's so, it's, it's so gone. Imagine if you weren't there. Imagine if we, if followers of Jesus, were withdrawn what it would be like. You look at the darkest places in our culture today. Just take Hollywood, for instance. There was a period of time when the followers of Jesus withdrew from Hollywood. And as a result, it has become what it has. Now, there, there are people are actively re-engaging and doing great stuff and being among the influencers in Hollywood. But when we withdraw, that's when things begin to rot. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Get in the culture and preserve and bring health and bring flavor this is who you are. And then he says, you are also to light the way. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. What does light do? Light causes darkness to scatter. You flip a switch and all of a sudden, the darkness is just kind of pushed away. The light, all it does is just cause darkness to dissipate. I have a friend who was recently telling me that she took her daughter to the grocery store. And she was at this grocery store, and her daughter was there. And you know how you buy everything that you want, and then they sell you the things that you don't need at the end? It's like the candy and the batteries and the, the drinks to keep you awake for 24 hours and all that stuff. And so you're checking out, and you're like, okay, I got the essentials, but now there's this stuff too. And the daughter is not blind to those things, so she grabs what she sees. It's a little flashlight. It's about the size of my thumb, and it's on a keychain. It has a little push-button deal, and the little light lights up at the tip, and it's just, she thought it was the coolest thing she'd ever seen. She's like, Mom, look, a flashlight. And it's, it fits in her little, you know, hand. She's probably like five or six years old. And Mom says, yeah, it's a flashlight, and she's paying for the groceries. And Mom says, can I have it? The kid says, can I have it? She's like $2 or something. So she says, sure. She gives her the light. They walk out of the, door, out of the store, and the first thing she says is she's celebrating her little light. She says to her mom, let's go find some darkness. I want to use this light. Light causes darkness to scatter. In this culture that we're living in right now, in this time when there's bombings and there's chaos and there's explosions and people are dying, what always follows those tragic events? Candlelight vigils. Why is it that when there is sadness, when there is hopelessness, when there is despair, People light lights and they gather and they cry together and by coming and bringing and remembering and offering this little bit of light together as a community, they're saying there is hope where there is light. In the midst of chaos, there is this, we have this glimmer, this flicker of hope that light brings in the midst of darkness that it brings warmth in the midst of cold, that it brings a little bit of clarity in the midst of confusion. And Jesus says, you 
are the light of the world. You are the light of this world, of the world around you. And then he says that you are strategically placed. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, a town built or placed on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He's saying, you are like a house, you are like a city built on a hill. You are like a town intentionally placed. In those days, they had uh, the terrain was really rocky, and they would put they would put these towns up in the hills so that you could see them from miles away. And they would light the way in these jagged paths and everything like that. So you would see the city that was built up in limestone, white rock, and just and just glowing in the nighttime. And it would be your beacon so that you would know where you're going and how to get from here to there. And Jesus says, you are like that. You are strategically placed to let your light shine in darkness. You're like, no, 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 no. See, I was just transferred to Huntington Beach for my job, and it was out of my control. I didn't even really want that position, but I had to stick with it so that I could get to this position, right? No, 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 no. I meant to get into this school, but I'm just doing like junior college for a year and then I'll be, you know, on my way. No, 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 but I, I went through a divorce and it wasn't my choice and I just wanted, to, I had to rent an apartment so I thought I just want to be closer to the beach. So that's, I, it's not like an intentional, it's kind of random. I just live here in this area. God has you strategically positioned where you are to be a light to the people around you, to the world around you, to the culture, the community around you on purpose. It's not random. It might seem random, but it is not by chance. You are where you are for a reason. The question is, do you know where you are? And are you fully there where you are? Are you embracing where you are and why he might have you there. I mentioned that I played volleyball, and I, I mentioned that it did not seem like a very successful in terms of winning people. Uh, but after I retired from volleyball, uh, my friend Trevor became the captain of the team. And one day, just after, I don't know, a couple months into the season, I get this letter on the outside of my apartment room door. And I open up this letter, and it's a letter from Trevor, a 6'6", really good volleyball player who, anytime you get a letter from a dude, you're already like, huh? And then when he's like this really, you know, good athlete guy on your team, you think this is weird. And then you open it up, and it's three pages long. And he just goes on and on telling me about what he learned from me while I had been the captain of that team. And how he, his literal words were, I can only hope to be half the captain and the leader that you were for this team. Now, we won no championships. The team fell apart. The coach was really tough. I never got any awards or accolades. I felt like it was a disaster. And when I least expected it, I get a letter from my friend Trevor, who doesn't follow Jesus, saying, I hope to just be half the leader that you were while you were here. Maybe you remember a few months back, Jairus talking about T-ball and how he didn't want to coach the T-ball team, but they needed a coach and his kids weren't going to be able to play. He wasn't even sure if his kids were going to be any good at this thing, but he went ahead and coached anyway. And he would show up, he'd be like, man, dragging all this equipment, I don't have time, I got all this stuff going on. 
And then a couple weeks into the season, one of the families just disintegrates. Mom and dad and abuse and hard things. And he ends up entering as a pastoral presence into their life, into their story, into that brokenness and pain, and playing a role in it for them. And driving their kid to and from practice and and being a father figure to that kid for the rest of the season. And he stood up here and he said, that's why God put me there. You are living in HB. You are living in Fountain Valley, in Westminster, in Sunset Beach, wherever you are. And it is not by accident that you are there. You are in the school that you are in. You are on the teams that you are on. You are in the workplace that you are, with the family that you have, in the neighborhood that you are. And it is not by accident. It might seem random. The circumstances might seem like they don't make any sense, but God has done it strategically and he has plans to use you there. And he invites you to be salt and to be light in that place. We, in this time and place, have an opportunity. There have been people, numerous people, since I have moved here and been leading this church that have come to me and said, do you know that my friend and I, we walked around the streets of Huntington Beach for 15 years every week and prayed for this city, that God would do something special, that God would bring light and hope to this place. And she said, do you know, for those 15 years, I saw church after church come in, struggle, fall away. Come in, struggle, fall away. No, no one seemed to get their traction. Do you know that you are a part of something that God has been doing over a long period of time and preparing this place for? Do you know that people have been praying for people like us to be salt and light in our communities for years? They've been praying for you to love their neighbors, to love their coworkers, to love kids in the schools. It's no accident that you're here in this time and place. God has strategically placed you. Keep showing up. It might not feel like things are happening. Keep showing up. Because the next thing, and the last thing, is that your life points toward your heavenly Father. Look at verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see, now stop, this is where, this is where we go, that they may see your bumper sticker and voting record, and they will say, dang, she's a good Christian. <laughs> no. That's not what it says. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good actions. That they may see how you love others. That they may see how you stay calm under pressure. That they may see how your life does not revolve around the latest toy or how much money that you can make. That they may see how you don't compare yourself to the Joneses and if your vacation is better or is good. That they may see that you're not trying to fight and claw and scratch and get everything that you can, but that you are quick to give, that you are compassionate, that you are caring, that you meet people in their struggles, that you look after the poor, that you care about the lonely kid at school that gets picked on, that you don't, that you're not fighting for everything, that you're not trying to get yours. They're gonna see your good deeds. They're gonna see how you love. And they are going to connect the dots. And they're going to think, there's something different about this person. I wonder if it's 
that God that they've talked about. I wonder if it has anything to do with Jesus. I've heard that their life kind of aligns with things I've heard about in the Bible. And people will be able to connect the dots between a life that inspires them, that's peculiar and, dif- and different in the best way, versus the darkness and the things that they see around. And they notice that when you're around, that when we are around, that there's a preserving element to the workplace, to the home, to the culture. There's, there's a lighting that happens. There's a warming that happens. There's, there's a clarity in the midst of the chaos when you are in the mix. And they will connect the dots and they will think, I wonder if, if I can have some of that because that seems to have a lot to do with their God. Last night I was up at uh, the Mariner's Men's Retreat. There's some men that are in a place called Forest Home up in the San Bernardino Mountains from around Orange County. These guys have gone up there and they asked me to come and speak last night. And I didn't want to do it. And I... I I was looking forward to being here, and I didn't want to have to prepare another little message. And, and then I get in the car, and I drive up there, and it's about an hour and a half unless there's a head-on collision uh, at the only street that leads up the hill. And so me and Jordan, our high school pastor, and Kyle and Graham here who went with, sat in a car for an hour and a half at the base of the mountain. I had scheduled to be an hour and 15 minutes early, so what does that tell you? I literally pulled up, went to the bathroom, and walked on stage. And I'm thinking, why? Why did I have to? Why did I agree to this? I don't like camping, period. Just even (laughs) showing up and driving all this way to do this and... I feel disconnected from everything that they've been talking about. I'm just coming in to do this thing. I get up there. I didn't even feel great about it. And I, I talk for 30 minutes and I get down. And I'm like, man, God, really? And I walk into the back and I see Ryan Thurlow. And Ryan Thurlow played on my volleyball team in college. And he was the most out there guy. And he comes up to me and he hugs me. And he says, two years sober. I said, how did you even find out about this thing? He goes, my dad goes to, he lives in Irvine, and he goes to Mariners, Irvine, and saw the flyer for the men's retreat, and he saw your face on it, that you were going to be speaking, and he called me and said that I should come too. And he said, I just wanted you to know that I love you, and I'm grateful for you in my life. And I said, I hate men's retreats. I wish I didn't even (laughs) come to this stupid thing. Salt always preserves, and light always shows the way, even when you don't think it's working, even when you can't tell that it's having any effect whatsoever. And I know this hits close to home for some of you because I know that some of you are living with a spouse that doesn't follow Jesus. I know that some of you have kids that are far from Jesus. I know that neighbors and coworkers and bosses cause a great deal of pain in your lives. 
and you're thinking, how much, what else can I do? How, what else can I say? How else can I point them? Should I wear the bracelet longer? Should I play different kinds of music? Should I do this? Should I, is there a magic prayer? If I can just trick them into praying it, then they'll change. <laughs> and Jesus says, how about this? How about you just be salt in every situation because it's who you are? How about you just be light and trust me to do what I do? And over time, you never know what will happen. You will be amazed if you just keep showing up, keep being who he invites you to be. So will you shift from a banner of Christian, of like a, a, a checkbox, and be salt and be light in this world? Will you join me and join us in being a preservative in this community where there is a lot of darkness, where there is a lot of pain and broken, brokenness and addiction and homelessness and violence? Will you be a preserving force with us in this community? Will you be a light with us in the dark places? Will you join with us in what God is doing and what people have prayed for for generations and that I know of decades for God to do in this time and in this place, in this community? Will you, will you, use, will you let him use you where he has put you and not be thinking, oh, oh, when I get to my when I get to that hill, then I'll be a light on it. Oh, oh when, when this happens, when I reach that thing, then that's when I'll really let my light shine. No, he has put you where you are for a reason, to be salt and to be light in this world, right? Will you stand with me now? The band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing one more song, but I just want you to pray. I just wanna pray now that God would continue to move us, continue to draw us, continue to use us, and to believe that we are where we are for a reason. God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that you would get us to see that you have put us right where you have on purpose, that there is an opportunity in our community to be salt and to be light, to bring hope and healing, to scatter darkness and despair, with peace and comfort and love. And we don't have to be super Christian or whatever that is, but we just continue to show up and let you use us. And we trust you with the results, God, because we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. We just trust you. Use us in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, in Jesus' name.